All right, it is Saturday, the 2nd of March, 2019, and Pete Giuliano, that makes us, what number? Solder Smoke number 210. 210, wow, we're moving along here. Hello to everybody, it's been a while. Crank it in, Ralph, crank it in, 210. Take up the tally. I want to point out to everybody as we start that both Pete and I are wearing the appropriate headgear. We have dubbed this wear your beret month and we have launched a contest that says it's a well it's sort of a contest that that if you send us a photograph of yourself wearing a beret while listening to the podcast or while working your equipment or while working something on your bench i think those are the categories right pete right um you will win a valuable prize um you are eligible to win a one-year free subscription to the Solder Smoke podcast, which is, yes. of course... Worth a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and a nickel. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I have my beret on. Pete's, Pete has the really the better beret. He has the European beret. And we put up an advertisement for where you can obtain such a beret. 16 uh, bucks. 16 bucks. 16 Jeez. bucks. And, you know, it one size fits all. It's It's almost magical. Um, my beret, I'm going to take it off because it's, it's pretty <laughs> darn uncomfortable. I'm wearing a, a maroon paratroopers beret from a really long time ago. So let's hold on a second, Pete. Woo, that feels better. All right. Well, I did, I met the requirement though. So here we're, we're yes, good. Yes. All right, Pete, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We've been away. We were a little late in doing this excuses, excuses. But first I want to find out Pete Giuliano, how in touch you are with contemporary modern society, American society. First question, do you know who Alexa is? Yes. Do you have Alexa in your house? No. We didn't either. I was only vaguely aware of her. But then my wife, we got a new kind of Internet package here from Verizon, and with it comes Alexa. So the little machine comes in, and I help my wife set the thing up because I am the technical wizard. It wasn't as easy as it was supposed to be, but there it is. So Alexa's there. So we start asking its questions. You can ask it some really fun questions. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. None of those, none of those beret-related questions that you're thinking of. No, I'm thinking about this one. You could say to Alexa, Alexa, open the pod bay doors, you know, from 2001 to Space yeah, Odyssey. Yeah. And she'll say, I can't do that, John. I'm Alexa. You're Bill, and we're in space. <laughs> we're not in space. <laughs> anyway, it's a lot of fun. But I was just sitting there, and Lisa's kind of calling up songs. And, wow, this is pretty cool. I can play the song. And I looked at Alexa, and I said, Alexa, play the Solder Smoke podcast. My wife looked at me like, that's never going to happen. And all of a sudden, your dulcet tones come <laughs> coming out of the speaker. <laughs> Man, you sound good on Alexa, Pete. I'm telling you. Yeah, and, and yeah. We, yeah they, they, she went and she played 209 for us right there. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, those of you who are out there who have Alexa or some version of her in your home, uh, try it out. See if you see if you can get her to play uh, Solder Smoke. Apparently, also you got to be careful how you ask though, because there's a lot of musical groups that have names that are similar, but content that is nothing like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Second question in the cultural quiz. This is a hard one. I don't know if you're going to get this one. Do you know who Marie Kondo is? 
I've seen some things on the internet, but I, I don't know the detail. I got to be honest. Can you give me a little, little bit more? A little bit. What's it about? Sort of? She, she's got some TV show that, uh, or YouTube show that uh, explores various uh, lifestyles and uh, currently popular things. All right, you're, you're, you're good. You get, you get, you get, you get half the credit there. It's about decluttering. Decluttering. It's about decluttering you your life Ooh. by getting rid of anything in your home. That does not spark joy. Ooh. It's a very Japanese thing. She's from Japan. So it's like this kind of feng shui or wabi-sabi that we used to get from our friend George Dobbs, right? So yeah. you hold the item in your hand, like my paratrooper beret, and I say to myself, does this spark joy? Bad news for the paratrooper beret. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It sparks yeah, a lot yeah. of painful memories, yeah. maybe, mostly. Yeah. But anyway... Um, now here's the thing. Think about this. What would what effect would this decluttering movement have on amateur radio as we know it? I mean, most of terrible. Our jacks... <laughs> I lose my junk box. Terrible. <laughs> no, it's got a it's got a very beneficial effect because what they say, and there's actually I saw an article about this all over the country. Thrift shops are suddenly filling with items that radio amateurs find interesting, useful. Oh, yeah. Old radios, old stuff, old electronic junk that people would yeah. normally keep sitting around the house. So for the, for the home brewer, for the scrounger, for the operator of roadkill equipment, Marie Kondo is your new best friend. Yeah. I'd like to find a 1955 TV set. Why would you want that? Because of the power transformer, ah, you could, you could build a heck of a linear amplifier, that a 200 watt linear with one of those power transformers on one of those. TV I remember. Sets. I mean, I, I might tell the story about the time they, yeah. they forced me to build a power supply for the HW32A. Yeah. And I lived to tell the tale. Here we are. Yeah. All right. That brings us to this. That that's a very appropriate segue, Pete, because it brings us to one of the topics that we want to talk about this week, and that is boat anchors. Yes. Again, a wave yes. of nostalgia hit me. I, we talked about it last time. It all was sparked by uh, Straight Keenite and that CW celebration that you're not so fond of. But right. um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk about that more in a bit. But anyway, fixing up the HT37 and getting it going, I found myself getting more and more interested again in boat anchors, and I think this is an important point for radio amateurs, and it goes contrary. Mm -hmm to the teachings of Marie Kondo. There's a benefit in not decluttering your shack because as all of us know, your interests in radio, in amateur radio, kind of vary. They come and cycle. go. They, they cycle. cycle. Right, right. So you might think, I'm not interested in those boat anchor radios anymore. I'm interested in building SSB transceivers, solid state with Arduinos and SI5351s. Anyway, I could have gotten rid of all the old boat anchor radios, but thank God I did not, because my interest in boat anchors came back, and it's nice to have a bunch of old, familiar radios that you've been working on for many, many years with you. But anyway, this sparked my interest in vintage radios, and here's the other thing. There's a niche, a niche, a niche for us, and I'm hoping to get you involved in this, Pete. Vintage SSB. Yes. A lot of times vintage, when you when you talk vintage, you find yourself being pulled into the world of CW. 
You don't like that. I know you don't. And I understand why. You also find yourself being pulled into the world of AM. I have similar feelings about that, too. But this is the niche for us, Pete. This is vintage SSB. SSB is our mode. This is what we build, right? We're interested in it. And there's this whole subset, this whole kind of micro-universe of hams who are like who like SSB, who like to work on their gear, but they do it with this old vintage stuff. So I have here queued up, and I hope I'm going to be able to pick it up, the preamble, the preamble for the vintage SSB net. And I want to play it for our listeners. I'm going to take off my headset, and I'm going to move my headset over to the speaker on the computer. And you give me a thumbs up if you're hearing it okay when I get it going. Hold on. Right. Okay, I can't find the preamble. There is none. I'm underwhelmed. Make it up as you go. <laughs> I can't find the preamble. Oh, what am I going to do? Make it up as you go. Okay, good morning. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Here it is. Right it's in a here. Word document. Stand by. Want me to read it, Pat? Hey, why don't you read it? Do you have a copy? Yes, sir. Read it with your Kentec Omni. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, this is Ned, uh, yeah, Ned9RK. Good morning, everybody. This is the Vintage Sideband Net. The Vintage Sideband Net meets here most Saturday mornings at the conclusion of the Midwest Classic Radio Net. The AM Net at 
They are not ashamed. Pete, I think we should we should embrace that. Now, we have had our our uh, our agent in Eightland attempt to make contact with this group. Hey, hey, before you go on, I need to share something with you. Tell me. Okay. Because you said that, my, I should say that in 1963, before I headed off to Midway Island, I was stationed out here at Port Wainimi, and I the, the guy that ran special services was a ham. Mm-hmm. So he said, are you going to take a rig out there with you? I said, nah, I don't know, I don't know what I did. He said, look, we have a deal with National Radio. National. He said, I, can get, I said, I can get you a NCX a power supply and an NCX3, 200 bucks. So I said, okay. So I took it out with me to Midway Island. And uh, I, I found that it was not really good. I didn't have a really good antenna, so I used the, the main station. Last week, I bought an NCXA, an NCX3, $69 on eBay. <laughs> I, I, I knew it. You see... The radio gods have spoken. I did not know about this when I before I launched into this whole thing about you need to get back into into vintage gear. So I have the very first sideband transceiver that I ever operated from Midway Island KM6DD. It's sitting in my garage, so I have to power it up and go through all that. So I have I did that. $69, Bill. That's what I paid. $69. The radio gods have spoken. There you go. A wave of vintage boat anchorism has yeah. struck both coasts of the United States. And I yeah. suspect people throughout this great land of ours and beyond will be taken in, caught up yeah. in the wave. Yeah. Excellent. I, I, I should tell you, the guy said, this thing doesn't work. So... You said I, I you said I pay extra for that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so I so I looked at the power supply and the reason it didn't work is one of the high voltage capacitors was just floating. There was no connection. No, oh, that's too easy. So, so <laughs> five minutes for the soldering iron, and I know the power supply works because I have another national rig that I powered up and it works. So I have to I have to open the box with the NCX three. So I am good to go. I have my very first single sideband transceiver sitting in my shack right now man excellent this is this is good this is what we want now, did you get a shock pete no okay good did you keep, no. your, did you keep your left hand behind you yeah i did all right I, good all right I, you want to remind people of that you got to be careful yeah so this this is excellent news so we can we can kind of commiserate on vintage stuff now i know you've got to fight the temptation because i know your your first instinct will be to put an si 5351 in that bad boy what well, well, let me tell you, Bill. <laughs> He's <laughs> the, looking at me. It is. I do it. <laughs> the, the dial down at the CW portion, the the dial markings are really wide. You get up into the phone portion, and you you have to squint your eyes to see what <laughs> <laughs> it hurts for. <laughs> These are the kind of things that drive Pete crazy. <laughs> I'm saying, why can't they make it even? <laughs> What's the problem? What's the difficulty here? Oh man, that is excellent. So we're going to hear more about this. This is going to be yeah. more stuff to Maybe talk about. Maybe we'll even have to have a QSO. We will. Boat anchors coast to coast. Coast to coast. There you go. NCX3. What a piece of crap that was. <laughs> <laughs> but we are not ashamed. <laughs> Smoke and flames may occur yeah, at yeah, any time. Yeah, this is yeah. welcome and normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the I like the preamble a lot. 
Yeah. And I, I yeah. especially like that the way that guy read it. Yeah. Um, with a lot, of, a lot of a lot of theatrics, a lot of drama. We need yeah. that. We need some enthusiasm. That's good. And uh, and the kind of the rebellious tone, the kind of we don't care attitude. That's 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 what we need. This is a really good group to listen to. I, I, I get a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun listening to them. And they're good because they take every one of their nets and they, they, they have somebody recording it and they put the MP3 files up on their site. So if you miss them or if you're out of range, it doesn't matter. If you're working on the shack and you're kind of between solder smoke episodes and you need some kind of in, inspirational accompaniment to your soldering, just put this thing on and listen to these guys talk about the old rigs. It's uh, it's it's a real it's a hoot. I like it. It's good. There, there are two nets out here on the West Coast. One at seventy two oh two point five. That's on Thursday nights. And Friday nights is the Collins Vintage Sideband Net at thirty nine eighty five, and you get it on seventy two oh two point five. And I got to tell you, I laugh because I'll be using a simple transceiver with an Arduino in it, and man, them frequencies is all over. Oh, the place. I know, I know. Oh, I, 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 man. I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute when we get to the end. Go ahead, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt <laughs> you, but I, I, I've been, I've been oh, dying, dying no. just to tell you, I've got no. an NCX three and an NCXA power supply. Ready to go. Oh man, Pete, this is this is wonderful. And you know, somebody, another one of our close associates here, and I was going to mention him before, yeah, yeah, attempted sorry, to, attempted to check in. He actually yeah. did check in. They could hear him. Uh, Steve N eight N M out there has a Collins. I think he has the S line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he fired it up after we talked about it, and uh, they they couldn't hear him too well. He may be a bit sort of on the fringe. Uh, but the, he should be close enough. So I'm just thinking that when Steve gets a chance, uh, he's been real busy lately. But um, when he gets a chance, maybe if he does something, put a bit more fire in the wire. Um, that might uh, he might he might be able to check in there. I'm sure they would they would. Lie. I sent them a note. I said, listen up for Steve. I mean, because he's he's a, he's a very a fine business radio amateur. That's a stretch for 75 meters, though, isn't it? For 75? Yeah, because he, he's up in Michigan. Northern Michigan? Yeah, he might be a little bit far, but they're all out there. They're all kind of like in. Oh, okay. You know, in our mind, eight and nine landed, so. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's out there somewhere. You know, you probably probably have the same problem, right? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I've been, I've been using the HT37 and the Drake 2B more, and I got on the other day, and I was on, I guess I was on 20 meters with it, and there was a guy with a really good signal, and I figured I'd give him a call. I didn't think we'd, you know, a lot of times you, you, you realize there's a lot. Most people out there are not interested in your old vintage equipment or your homebrew equipment. So the, the conversations tend to be kind of, I don't know, you tell them about the homebrew gear. They tell you about their Kenwood or their ICOM and their G5 RV antenna. And you're like, okay, you try to get something going, but the conversation just doesn't take off because there's not a lot to talk about. But I mentioned to K6ZA that I was transmitting with uh, Hallicrafters HT37 and listening on a Drake 2B. And I could almost hear him fall out of the chair all the way from Sixland. Wow. Because he came back and he was he was almost he was almost breathless. He said, That is my favorite transmitter. I had one of those. He goes, I would so much like to hear the receiver too. He was very enthusiastic about the Drake 2B. He said, I would so much like to hear what I sound like across the continent coming out of a Drake 2B. So I really, I quick reached into my pocket, pulled out my iPhone, hit the record button, 
and recorded this guy coming through the Drake 2B. I took, I made three short videos. I put them up on the blog, but it was really, really cool to run into a fellow enthusiast for for that equipment, and uh, and it was it was just great fun. Have you looked at the price of an HT37 on on eBay? It's up there. They they started three seventy five for a junker. Well, do you know how much they sold new? Back same to, price, yeah, about that same about four amount. about four four fifty four ninety five yeah, something yeah. like that, which back then was an enormous amount of money. Yeah, that's yeah. like buying car money, I think. Yeah, but that's just for the HT thirty seven. I know well, it's worth every penny then and now. It's a wonderful transmitter. I, I had one with a Collins seventy five S three B. Yeah. Okay. Great, great combination. The transmitter was crap, but the receiver was good. <laughs> the one I had uh, had some problems. You couldn't hold the the sideband uh, rejection. Yeah. Some of the some of the it wouldn't. You'd gnaw it, and then it would drift. You'd what? gnaw it, and then you would drift. You know, it's funny. I hear different things. I hear guys say they have problems. They hear guys say they have problems with drift with their HT thirty sevens. No, I never have. Now, one thing I do notice is that if I, if I don't keep it cool. It'll drift a bit, but if I put a muffin fan on the back and ha- just suck out the, the hot air, man, the, things, the top of the rig stays cool to the touch, and it doesn't drift at all. So temperature control, definitely definitely important. But, um, yeah, in, and the other thing that's, that's really that got me kind of interested here, um, maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit, but that's okay. I mean, first of all, the HT37, because it's a phasing rig, makes it really interesting the phasing method of sideband generation yeah but the, the thing that i've gotten more interested in too is the drake 2b which is a very selective receiver but there's no crystal filter in there it's all lc filters you disappeared media there am i there yeah you're fidgeting with stuff but i can't see you now hold on okay hold on. got me i'm looking at i could see you but you were doing something there what did you do I just tried to get something that flashed on my screen below the screen. It said you got an email, so I just clicked. That. You see me now? I see you. We're 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 good. We there you go. You're back now completely. Okay. All right. Good. Don't do that. You scare me. The whole thing <laughs> is very sensitive. Anyway, the Drake Two B is it's triple conversion. It it goes down to the first IF is like a, down to four fifty five. Then it goes down to fifty KCs, fifty, and there they do the the the, the selectivity even down to 500 uh, cycles, right? Half a KC, which is really great for CW, but they do that strictly with LC filters. There's no crystal filter. There's no mechanical filter. There's nothing like that. Just using very high Q LC circuits, they're able to do it because the, 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 the frequency of the IF is so low at 50 KCs. I just happened to stumble across this great article by Doug DeMaw on... Using on doing just that, home brewing your own very narrow LC filters, and he gives a, he provides a table on how you could do it for IFs of 100 kc or IFs of 50 kc. And I'm really tempted just to do something different in the building the receiver category to build one of these receivers with you know really good selectivity down by by using LC filters down at. Uh, at 100 kc or 50 kc have you ever done anything like that pete no but let me just share something with you that i saw two days ago on ebay uh the arc 5 series of receivers used all 
kind of different IFs. And one of them used an 85 kilohertz IF. They call it the Q-Fiber. And some of them were uh, 2 megahertz, some were 6 megahertz, something like that. But the, the low-frequency one was 85 kilohertz. And guys took those and, and made them like an outboard receiver so that you'd get the narrow IF. Right. Okay, there's a guy by the name of Joe Emmett Jennings. I think he's the silent key now. His call was W6EI. He started Jennings Vacuum Variables, you know, the big vacuum variables, yeah. Jennings Vacuum yeah. Variables. But he was an ardent ham. He designed a sideband transceiver <laughs> using the Q-Fiber with the 85 kilohertz IF and used that for the, for the filter stage. And he took he took an ARC-5 transmitter, made it against the Q-Fiber, and they were refurbishing these things and selling them wow. as an early sideband transceiver. So. It's been done before. You, I don't know if it's the listing still on it. They wanted thirty-five bucks for this thing. I said no. I don't, I don't need another project. But they used the eighty-five kilohertz IF. It was sufficiently narrow enough that you could use an LC filter in lieu of a crystal filter, or mechanical filter. Wow. So it's been done. So you might want to research uh, the internet on on the Q fiber and the eighty-five kilohertz. A lot of these will show up on eBay for four or five bucks because nobody wants them. Until exactly. now, until you just drove up the price. They're going to be like HT37 expensive yeah, yeah. now. But the, but the 85, lot, 85 kilohertz IF would be a good place to start because they're already – and it's three IF stages, so you got a lot of selectivity there. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting concept, and it re yeah. reminded me of, of – I think it was Dale Parfit who, who, who brewed up his own kind of – his own version of the 2B. Yeah, and, and what a, with, with oh, solid man. state. That was a beautiful yeah, rig. I, mean, I would, yeah. I probably wouldn't attempt to to multi-band it because that's beyond me. But I mean, technical abilities. But I think you know you could probably do one fairly easy for one band, getting the signal down to fifty kc or hundred kc, and then just use the kind of filters that Demore described. So uh, I think that's really really interesting. Hey, but speaking of filters, I have in my hand here something. Look at this thing. Look at that. Hold on. Do you see that? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a mechanical filter. It's the, it's the inside of a mechanical filter. Because you, Pete Giuliano, have put me on the road to magnetostriction. There you go. We all need to be involved in magnetostriction. I've been a ham for more than 40 years, and I never really got into it until you got me into it. So here's the story. I built this HRO-ish receiver based on the, the HRO dial and gearbox that our friend Armand sent me. And I built the whole receiver around it. I used the box that Tim Sutton sent me. There's all kinds of good soulful parts in there. It's basically a single conversion super hat with a 455KC IF. And I, I built two filters in there. One broad as a barn door, just using 455 KCIF cans. That's for listening to AM and shortwave broadcasts. But I wanted to have another filter in there that would be narrow. So I first used this Toyo CM455 crystal mechanical filter. I put it in there. And I got to say, it it sounded awful. It was obviously really lossy. I could measure the loss. It was like 20 dB loss. And it just, it wasn't really sharp. I don't know if there's something wrong with it or whether I didn't match the impedance properly. 
But I, I tried to get this thing going, and I just could not get it to work properly. And I was thinking about what I was going to do with this, and I remembered that mechanical filter, uh, Kokusai, a Kokusai mechanical filter that you sent me a while back. And so I pulled it out of the filter box. I figured it out how to put it in there. And Pete, it worked like a charm. I mean, first, I measured the loss the same way. I put a signal through, compared Gazinta to Gazauta, and there was very little loss. It wasn't very lossy. I, I checked the shape. It's it's quite tight. It's like 2.3 kcs wide. I think it's 6 dB down. But, 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 well, that's what you want. You're looking for selectivity, right? So I just popped it in there, and I just temporarily, I kind of just, just kind of jury-rigged it in there. But I could tell immediately that it was working great, so I, I put it in there. But this got me really interested in the whole idea of mechanical filters. What is going on with the little mechanical filters? It's really interesting. If you've never, I mean, we've all kind of dealt with crystal filters. We know how the crystal filters work. The LC filters that we just talked about, we know how they work. But I was sitting there thinking, I don't really know how a mechanical filter works. And there's not a lot of literature out there on it. I found a few sites that describe what goes on, but it is so interesting. It's almost like little tuning forks. Yeah. Think about it this way. A tuning fork, you, 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 discs. you hit it, and it vibrates at a certain frequency because of the physical characteristics of that fork, Before the, because of the length of the fork, the distance, the metal that's made up of it. Spacing. Spacing and all that. So imagine a situation where you could take a number of little tuning forks, all tuned to 455KC, not to the 1KC or 2KC for audio range, but 455KC, which is up there, but not way up there, and then line them up so that if a signal comes in at 455KC, it'll kind of ring the first one, which will ring the second one, which will ring the third one. In this case, it looks like they've got six of them there, right? They use little discs. But it's the same thing. Now, here's the electrical principle that's really interesting. It's just like, remember on Straight Key Night a few years ago when I was using the transformer hum from the, from the DX100 as a side tone for CW? The same principle. I didn't know that I was using magnetostriction. But what magnetostriction is, is that certain materials, if you put them under a magnetic field, the magnetic field will physically change the size of the piece of metal. That is really wild, right? It's almost like, sort of like what happens with a piezoelectric crystal, but it's with a piece of metal. So you could conceivably make up, have a piece of, I think it's like, well, nickel is, I think, especially yes, good with nickel. this. Yes, nickel. So if you have a piece of nickel, and you put a coil on one end and a coil on the other, and then you send a signal into one end that causes a magnetic field to be induced into the nickel, it'll cause the, the, the size of the nickel to vary which will vary the signal coming out on the other end. And so you have a very rudimentary filter. That's what they do with with these things. But I really got into it. And I, I actually, this this is not yours, of course. Yours is still inside the rig working perfectly. But Tony Fishpool sent me a bunch of articles that describe how these mechanical filters have not aged well. Because when they when they pack them up, even Collins, the Collins mechanical filters, they put because it's a very it's it's obviously a mechanical thing, and you want to kind of cushion it from shock, so they put them in little cans, but then they put this kind of foam around them, kind of a shock absorbent material. Over time, the foam deteriorates, 
So these things degrade. So you have almost kind of a, a, a degradation problem with these mechanical filters. And I, so I was so enthusiastic about yours, I immediately went out on eBay and found a few others, including this one. But when it got here, it was not working right. I couldn't get it to work. I opened it up. I found out that it had the foam problem. But it's also a bit different. This one's a bit different. And here's we're going to have a quiz question on this one. You you probably got it already, but so don't don't you answer. But I'm going to put a picture of the of the inside of this filter. I've been showing it up and hold showing it up to Pete and hold, showing him here on Skype. But I'm going to put a picture up on the uh, on the blog page with this podcast. And and if you guys for extra credit, <laughs> take a look and see if you could spot something different, something odd, something unusual, something that varies from what I just described in this mechanical filter. And then tell tell us what it is, and we'll let you know if you, you won the prize. But here's something else. And I don't do this a lot, but I really like these things. There's not a lot of them out there on eBay. They're not. But these are the kind of things that guys do have in their junk box, and they've been sitting in the junk box for 30 or 40 years. If you've got a, a 455KC mechanical filter that you think is in good shape, and you want to give it a good home, send it to me. I'll put yeah. it in one of the rigs. I'll explore it. I won't chop it open unless it doesn't work. But if it's working, I will put it into a rig. I have in mind, here's what I have in mind. That HQ100 receiver over there with the 455KC IF, it is as broad as a barn door. Annoyingly so. All right? I wish I could narrow it down. So I'm I'm really interested in kind of in in SSB bandwidth. I'm not interested so much in really narrow CW bandwidth. I made a mistake, and I got I ordered what I thought was a mechanical filter. This thing because it looks like it, doesn't it? And it's from Collins. So I got this Collins. What it looked like a mechanical filter. I bought it off eBay. I didn't pay enough attention. But it's actually it's a crystal filter from Collins. It's at 455 KC. But it's clearly CW bandwidth. So here's the here's the flip side of the deal. If anybody out there is in need of a Collins crystal filter, I will send this thing to you. Just let me know if you're gonna if you're gonna actually use it. It's really narrow. But anyway, magnetostriction mechanical filters. Pete, I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I I, I want to share a little more about magnetostriction principle. Okay, this this is a this is an extra added bonus. Okay, and you mentioned nickel. A friend of mine who's who's long been since deceased invented a uh, device for cutting glass. And what he used was that exact principle and that the nickel core changes and w- in the magnetic field. And what it can do is it creates sound wa- sound energy waves off the end of it. And what they're able to do is precisely cut glass using the magnostriction principle. So it creates the sound pressure wave, and you put it right over the glass, because glass cutting, very precision glass cutting, is done using that magnostrictive principle. Wow, wow. I didn't didn't realize that. Yes. Who, who knew? But, I mean, it, it's amazing, because, you know, we, we hear about transformer hum, and you think yeah. about it, but, but why, why would it be humming? It's humming because the magnetic field going through the transformer yeah. is changing the physical shape of yeah. the, the, the iron core. It uh, produces sound pressure level at the end of that core. There wow. you go. Amazing. So wait, here's a question. If this is a radio kind of history question. 
that you might be able to help us out with, Pete. So I'm reading about the, the, the mechanical filters, and Collins was the pioneer, but Collins wasn't the only one, but Collins was a real pioneer. And this was all taking place, like in the 1950s, they were building these things. At the time that, they, that Collins was really starting to push SSB, Curtis LeMay, Art Collins, those guys were pushing SSP, mostly for military applications, but also, yes. also for ham ap- applications. But here's my question. At that time, we already had crystal filters, right? Around the same time, uh, by the 50s, there were crystal yeah, filters. Yeah, the, the, only, the only commercial one that I remember was McCoy. Yeah. And that, that they came out at the same time. Yeah. But, I mean, if they knew about crystal filters, what, building a mechanical filter is probably a lot more complicated, a lot more kind of yeah. industrial, kind of a lot more labor-intensive, materials-intensive. Yeah. But I just wonder, maybe somebody out there, some... some uh, kind of historian of radio can kind of illuminate this a little bit for us because it doesn't it's i was surprised at how much emphasis collins was putting on mechanical filters at a time when crystal filters seemed like they were available easier probably cheaper what do you think i i think that's true but i think there's another issue the collins mechanical filter were 2.1 kilohertz you saw very few crystal filters at that of that time and era that yeah. were two point one kilohertz. Yeah. Most of them most of them were two seven, yeah. two five. It may have been that the crystal manufacturing technology was not sufficiently good to give you the, 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 the more narrow bandwidth of two point one kilohertz. That that may have been the reason that they went to the to the mechanical filter versus the crystal filter, because it's the bandwidth. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But they, like the HT37 that we were talking about before, it uses the phasing method of sideband generation. And I was always under the impression that, that it was sort of, they did that because they wanted to avoid the cost of crystal filters. I think crystal filters were in the HT44, right? right? Yes. So, but that, no, but, no. well, no, HD44 is a phasing rig as well. Really? The, the Mates SX117 HD44, that's a phasing rig. Hmm. Because there was a there was a comparable rig to the HD37 that used crystal filters. And the thing is they said that the the HD37 was kind of the poor man's version because it was 32? cheaper. Yeah. Maybe the HD32, maybe the 32? HD32. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And then, and there was, I think there was the, the linear amplifier was the HT4, right? 30, 33. 33. HT32. Right. So I, I think you're right. The HT32 had crystal filters in it. But this is, you know, the, the, this is, we're, we're talking like 1959 here. Yeah. 1960. So maybe, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of odd that Collins was so heavily into the mechanical filters. I'm sure there's some, Collins historians out there who could uh, who could let us know, but please let us know about that. Interestingly enough, the crystal filter Helicrafter rigs used a 1.650 megahertz crystal filter. They did not use a high frequency crystal filter. 1.650. As a matter of fact, if you get your hands on one of those filters, was in like in the SR160, SR150, you can do that dual band trick with the same VFO. Oh, so that you, so you put the five megahertz VFO, you get eighty meters or forty meters. Ladies and gentlemen, we have proof. 
that Pete Giuliano is indeed a boker, a boat anchorologist, an anchorologist. All right, all right. Hey, uh, so enough of. Uh, oh yeah, one other thing I, I want to mention that I that using the boat anchor stuff. I I, have, I checked into a couple of operating events: the AM rally, <laughs> and the classic exchange. But let's talk about that in a little bit. A little bit later. Uh, why don't you tell us what you've been working on? What's on your What's on your 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 bench? It's antenna season. Yes. What's going on? What's going on out there well, at the labs well, of Newberry Park? First off, I want to share something with you about our esteemed government. Uh oh. Okay. Uh oh. Okay. So listen to this story. This is this is where your stomach goes in a knot. My license comes up for renewal on March the ninth. Mm-hmm. So in December, I got a notice that, hey, how about filing with us uh, because uh, it's it's soon going to expire. And I went to the W5YI. I put it in there and my paperwork went in just when our government shut down. I remember. <laughs> so I, I, was, said, I was spending a lot of time in the shack at that point. <laughs> so I said, well, what's that? I, I, I contact W5YI. I said, what's that mean? They said, well, until the government opens, they're not going to process your license. So I said, well, what happens if we go past our expiration date? They said, we don't know. You'll be expired. (laughs) Yeah, you'll be expired. (laughs) So anyway, uh, they went back to work. I got my license renewed. Two days ago, two days ago, Bill, I got an email from QRZ.com saying, congratulations, N6QW, on changing your call sign. Oh, my God. What are you now? (laughs) I said, I didn't change my call (laughs) sign. Well, yes, you did. Now you did. <laughs> no, I did. I, I won't identify the call sign, but to get into my web page. Oh, by the way, as a favor to you, we've changed your web page <laughs> over to the new call sign. Who's this? QRZ.com? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So so to get access to my web page on QRZ.com, I had to enter the new call sign. So I sent him a scathing letter saying, I didn't do that. And it was the guy that had the call sign before me. Evidently, the FCC issued an update of all the current call signs, and they used an old file from nine years ago, ten years ago. So a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people, and their call sign changed and notified by QRZ.com. I could suddenly become WN2QHL. Yeah, 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 there you go. So anyway, they get back with me after about two days. Well, then I went to the... ULS, whatever it is, and, and I was still N6QW. Thank God. So then uh, QRZ.com got back with me and said, oh, by the way, uh, we got an old database from, from the FCC. Who does things like that? This database had to be 10 years old. Well, listen, I mean, my, my story, the traumatic story of my youth was when I went, my father took me down to the to the federal, the FCC offices in New York City, and I took the, the exam for general class license and passed it. It was one of the happiest days of my young life. We came home and I waited. I waited. You had to wait. I had to wait like six weeks. Yeah, I know. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm going out looking at the mailman every day, waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, there's the envelope from the FCC. It came, and they gave me a technician license. Oh my God. I, I was. I my my father. He must have seen it in my eyes. I was just crushed. He actually got on the phone and called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, and got them to straighten it out. But I ended up being a technician for like three weeks. Yeah, it was, <laughs> there you go. It was a bummer. So yeah. man, FCC. Yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, that's that was the comment of my government. Who does stuff like that? I mean, can you imagine all the the, the emails that CureZ.com got about <laughs> congratulations <laughs> on changing your call sign? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me talk about some things going on in my shack. First antennas. I I have a problem with my beam, and I I it it works intermittently. So I'm going to have to get it fixed. I think it's a bad coax problem. And a bad coax connector, so I want to get that fixed because. But I'd you like missed to... the best time period to do it, which is mid February. Yeah, well, I, I looked up there with my binoculars, and I could see. I suspect I see what the problem is. But then I want to share with you a troubleshooting story, and this is something where things are not so obvious that I spent a good deal of time in my shack. First off, I want everybody to envision the capital letter T. I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Capital letter T. Okay. Got it. Think, think of the vertical part as a field coil, as a field coil on a relay. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and at the bottom, you're going to feed in minus 120 volts. Ooh. Minus 120 volts, the field coil on the relay. On DC? The left, D, DC. Minus okay. 120 volts, DC. On the left side, you have a bunch of circuitry that essentially grounds. So when you ground on the left side of the T, the relay engages and a whole bunch of things take place. This is out of my amplifier, the SB200. This is the, this is the problem with the Heathkit SB200 is that you had to switch a minus 120 volts uh, and it energizes the fuel coil and switches it because that minus 120 volts on the right side of the T gets fed into the grids. Uh, it's the bias of uh, grids on the 811s or 572s. And the reason is the minus 120 volts is a cutoff bias, so you don't hear any hash while you're receiving. Right. So they use the 120 volts to cut it off, and when that relay gets shorted on the left side, it, it brings the bias down to just a couple of minus volts, like minus 6 volts, and then the tubes conduct and you're off and running. So what was happening is when I turn on the amplifier, all of a sudden the relay would switch, and and I'm not engaging the push to talk. I mean, it was going into transmit as soon as you turn the power on. So you would suspect on the left side of the, the T, something is grounded. Right. So, uh, so I went through and I looked. I have a soft key in there, and I thought maybe the soft key was bad, so I got new parts and I replaced the... Uh, they FET switch and uh, the opto isolator. That didn't cure it. I looked at the relay. The relay was good, and it just drove me nuts. I was still having a problem. So then I took out the ohmmeter and I said, "What's happening on the tube side?" And when I went from grid to ground, 20 ohms. I had a short in the tube. <laughs> oh man! All, all it was on the right side. I mean, you discounted the tube. As being the short, you were looking on the left side saying, okay, what's triggering the circuit? What's shorting triggering the circuit? See, that's a good troubleshooting <clears throat> story, right? That's yeah. not like finding the cap floating around inside yeah, yeah. in the national rig. That's a good one. So so then I pulled the tube out. I wrapped it a few times, and then I put it back in and jumped the 10K. So there was a grid to cathode short inside the t- one of the tubes. Wow. So then I powered it up, and I only got about half power, so I said the tube's gone. So I put a new set of tubes in there, and boom, it's back again. But it was it was not so obvious. We were kept thinking the left side of the T was causing the short to ground to cause the relay to close. But it really was the right side 
the tube itself. Have you ever seen a grid the cathode short? No, I've, I've seen I've seen filament to plate. Yeah. Filament to plate destroys a lot of rigs because the guy yeah. it'll it'll this this is what used to happen in the HT thirty seven. Yeah. The filament would pop, and it's just like a light bulb. That little wire would kind of float around because it popped, and then it would float around a little bit, and it would hit the plate, and the high voltage then would go into the filament part of the transformer, where right. it burns the whole thing out. So you you would lose the plate transformer, the whole transformer on the HT thirty seven would be blown out. Yep. Because you got now, you got filament to, filament to plate short. Okay. Pete, when he rewired this, fixed that problem. I put a 10 ohm resistor in the high voltage lead. So if you ever got one of those, it smokes the resistor. Oh, it's good. <laughs> so so it opens a 10 ohm resistor. Okay? I, I think it ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's good. You gotta do it. Yeah. So that's how you do that. So I, I, that was okay. So I knew I didn't have a short. You know. I understand, and I don't know if this is true, but somebody, I was reading someplace, I read it kind of quick, that there's a similar danger to the Drake 2Bs. One of the tubes has a has a, has a tendency to go bad, and it has a filament-to-plate short problem. I've never come across it, but when I read this, I felt fear, you know? So if anybody knows about that, which tube is it that we have to worry about this kind of mayhem put, with Drake 2B? Put, put a 5-ohm kind of marginal wattage resistor in there <laughs> so you smoke the resistor and not 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 everything else but anyway so uh it's kind of interesting uh i receive emails about a lot of rigs that i built and there seems to be some worldwide interest in doing this but i think maybe total 20 people <laughs> but i keep getting the same emails from the 20 people well that's no that's great i mean it's a, you you know we were we were talking about the benefit of kind of putting stuff on blogs or, or in magazine articles and i and i told pete i said you should keep at it because that's how i met pete by finding articles from him in ham radio magazines and getting inspired and sending him emails and so i i was i was one of those people who was emailing you with annoying questions yeah yeah well the thing is uh and I don't mind answering the emails, but I try really hard to document what I do. And most of the time, the answers are in the documentation. No, I, got, I wasn't one of those guys. I read no. mine. <laughs> RTFM. I, I read it. I, you know, that was, I, was, I was not guilty of that. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to just chat about just briefly is... But, wait, uh, but, but I mean, it's so cool that these guys are building your rigs. I mean, and I've seen yeah. the emails coming in, and you, you, this is a big impact. I mean, you, you, somebody on the other side of the world is scrutinizing your schematic and producing yeah. a version of what you built, which is no I, small I, I love this. I love to see how people build stuff. Yeah. And, and some of the builds are really quite innovative. So they've sent movies in that, and I've, I've shared those with you, so I think you've got a chance to see some That's of really those. really great. Movies. Yeah, yeah. Great, cool. great stuff. Now, um, I want to just mention something about the microbitics. I get on the um, I I get on the mailers. As a matter of fact, that's what showed up on my screen. I was trying to get rid of Bill, <laughs> but uh, just a little bit early. He says, "Hey, the X twenty. Anyway, they're on version five. Yeah. And this is not just this is not just firmware changes. I think this is board changes. So so it's upgraded boards. Yeah, it's not- an upgraded board because they had to deal with the the lead problem on the low pass filters. The way they had the low-pass filters that are switched, the way they were lining up, some of the energy was, was able to skip past, and they were having some problems with kind of the insufficient attenuation 
<coughs> at certain frequencies. This was different from the uh, the spur problem they had. They've licked that one too. But yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting interesting process. Yeah. So so lots of as I say, version five. The other thing is uh, Farhan shared something, and I'm trying to find the number that. Uh, he recommends some device changes, and it's a Siemens transistor that has in the circuit, if you make a capacitor change and change this transistor, it's one of the driver stages. It gives less gain at on 80 meters, but greater gain on 10 meters. So you can get 5 watts out on 10 meters. That's pretty and good. And that's the IRF 510 seems to kind of, after 20 meters, kind of, Drops off, you'll you'll see the power go down. You know, you get maybe two or three watts on fifteen, and boy, you're lucky if you watt and a half on ten. If you can get five, that that'd be amazing. And yeah, it, um, it's a Siemens trap, but I haven't been able to locate the transistor. Uh, we'll get you we'll get you info on that. But I mean, I know this is one of the things that would drive a lot of people crazy about ubiquitous. They would really get bothered. You know, you'd see guys on the on the mailing list saying not in, not not the extreme that you describe, but saying things like. I'm supposed to be getting five out, but I'm only getting three and a half, and it's driving me nuts. Yeah, well, right. Don't 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 go nuts. Even even commercial transceivers yeah. will say slightly less. The Atlas 210X that was in the pre preamble yeah. of of the uh, old time boat anchors. Yeah. Yeah. They said a hundred watt rig. On 10 meters, they said, if you get 50 watts, consider yourself lucky, <laughs> you know. So it was not just, you know, homebrew stuff. Hey, anyway. Uh, but great. Uh, I Are you going to talk about analog versus? No, I, that was the next you, on my list. That's for you, because you wrote this really cool blog post, very magnanimous, I must say, uh, about the differences in perspective on analog versus digital VFO. But go for it, Pete. Well, the latest blog post is dedicated to N2CQR. Thank you very much. It's about time. And, and, and the dedication is I have come up with a solution to your HRO-ish problem. You haven't talked about that, and I guess you're going to. Oh, and that was on my list. First, <clears> okay, let me start. Why don't you talk about say, your HRO-ish gonna... problem? And this gets me, and I had it on the list here, and <clears> we'll go back. Always listen to Pete. Always. I've, I've violated this rule several times here in the podcast over the years, and I've always regretted it. If I mention a problem and Pete comes back and says in his very diplomatic way, you know, you might want to look at this. And I kind of say, no, I don't think it's this. I think it was the other thing. It was this. Always listen to Pete. So I was struggling with this problem with the HRO-ish receiver. I had this magnificent gearbox and dial that Armand gave me, but somehow it wasn't accurately reproducing the frequency. You tune to, you know, three, two, two, five, six on the dial, then you tune away, and the same signal would be at two, five, nine. It's not supposed to be that way. The whole dial is supposed to be that you can go back to the same dial setting and listen to the Nazi CW transmitters on the other side of the English Channel. That's what the whole thing was about. So the fact that it wasn't doing it here in Virginia in 2019, something was wrong. Pete said, uh, check the capacitor that you have this thing hooked up to because it might not be moving mechanically smoothly. I dismissed this until I pulled the capacitor out and it was not moving smoothly. 
and I replaced it with a capacitor that moves quite smoothly. Problem solved. Thank you, Pete. Lesson learned. Always listen to Pete. Go ahead. Okay. So taking that one step further, I have come up with a project, and there's a YouTube video, and there's a page on my website dedicated to Bill. Thank you, Pete. And what I have done is I've added a stepper motor <laughs> to two <laughs> to two <laughs> the variable capacitor in a VFO. And, and you're going to have some sort of feedback network to keep it there like a huff and puff. Oh, no, you don't need to do that. You, you, well, you could do that. But what this is, what this does, the stepper motor, I set it to one step and you, and I've added, uh, I took some software that was on the internet and I've added an LCD so you can count steps. And it has a feature that you push a push button and it zeros. It'll put it to a zero location where you initially set it. Uh-huh. So this way, if you put it to zero, it'll always be on zero because it counted the steps. And if you do have a problem, it's in the analog VFO part, not in the digital part. But you, it's a replacement for the HRO dial. And I, I was worried about how you could, um, if you left the capacitor in a position where you'd start it up again, that would call that zero. So I now come up with a scheme so as you power down, it will always go to zero. Now, this prototype that I've got is setting the stage for an antenna tuner. So another project for Bill is his antenna tuner that's out in, out in the elements. You could have. It's, a, it's the only time I get fresh air on some days. <laughs> you could have two LCD displays and you could crank in what the settings are for the two capacitors. Wow. Say, so, so take this amount of steps here, this yeah. amount of steps here. Well, what about it, the. What about the clip leads that I got to put on the coils? You got relays. something for that? Yeah, relays. Damn. This, Arch- is, you know, this, relay- an- this antenna tuner is going to be more complicated than my transceiver. Well, a relay with five positions, <laughs> five, five steps. And then what you can do is once you calibrate it, you just go in there and say it's on position two, crank these dials in, and it's set up for the band. And then you can make a table that then you could have a – a keypad, you just say 20 meters. You punch the button and everything is all automatically done. Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. Oh, man. So it's detailed on the page dedicated to Bill and to CQR. I'm going to have to build this thing. Thank you, Pete. I have something for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Being, I mean, I was just, you know, just really stunned by Pete's generosity. This be such a generous guy. I shouldn't have been surprised. I have in my hand a really magnificent capacitor. I'll put this up on the on the blog. Oh yeah, there Pete you go. Pete gave me this thing. Holy cow! It is it is magnificent. It's got gears and reduction drives on reduction drives. I'm going to put a picture of it on the blog. You'll see it. But that's not what I'm talking about now. What I I have been I told Pete I know a guy who has a part that he kind of needs all right <laughs> so pete you may have noticed on his blog a few days ago posted something about he was looking for an hro dial and gearbox uh-huh uh. and he went out onto ebay and found that these items are now priced at about 250 dollars so yeah. he jokingly jokingly i know he was joking he jokingly said that if anybody has one in the junk box send it to him 
so that he can resell it to buy more <laughs> SI 5351s. But no, 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 Pete. I have identified one for you. Uh, right? Uh, there you go. And here's what you should do with it. When you get it, you build a get a box. Maybe one of Tim Sutton's big boxes. I, I got one. You put you mount very carefully the World War II vintage HRO dial and gearbox. Get it all glued up in there and everything else. And then on the very end, you know, where the part where you put the shaft from the variable capacitor, you put a digital rotary control controller. <laughs> <laughs> and you hook the whole thing up to an SI5351, right? I can so do when that. You, when you turn that HRO dial, you're turning the rotary controller. You've got the best of both worlds. Yeah. You can sort of delude yourself into believing that you're living in the mechanical world of the 1940s. <laughs> well, in fact, you're turning this thing, right? I, There's a lot of possibilities here. We could, we could create a business in which we build these kind of fake, you know, mechanical, electromechanical front. But in behind it all, it's like you know, oh, the, yeah. the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. There's your beloved SI-5351 and rotary encoder. Yes. Stand by, Pete. I, I got a guy. I know a guy. You got a guy. You know a guy. His name's Armand. Yeah. He's got one. We don't know if we're going to send it to you yet because we're, we're afraid that you might follow through and just, you know, just not do this. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that, that's real good. So you, all kinds of stuff in there. I like I liked your article on the analog and digital VFO. You got anything else on the bench? Anything else going on over there? Oh, uh, well, I've got to I've got to go tackle that NCX3. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Keep us posted on that. That's going to be great fun. All right. Listen, we've been going on here almost 59 minutes. We've still got a whole bunch of stuff to cover. By, by the way, one thing I found out when I was in Midway, I thought I was going to operate 40 meters. Uh-huh. You're in the wrong zone. Oh, yeah? At that time, you couldn't operate 40 meters. Jeez. The zone I was in. Yeah. Oh, did you Did you know that? I remember when 40 meters changed, we got a whole lot of new bandwidth. That, that no, was during but my time. Some, some, some zones in the world, you're not allowed to operate 40 meters, even though you got a U.S. license. Damn. Seems yeah. unfair. Seems unfair. Speaking about other zones of the world, um, we got a really, we saw an, a really interesting post from Guido, Papa Echo One, November, <clears throat> November Zulu. Yeah. And uh, his article was on modifying the QCX phasing rig for SSB. The QCX rig, now we're not talking about QSX. Right. These are, these are all Hans Summers creations. But remember, a year or so ago, Hans came out with the QCX, which was a little digital CW transceiver based on the phasing principles. And I looked at this thing, and I thought you'd think you did too. We first, Our first thought was, let's SSB this thing. Yeah. Well, Guido did it. And he did it with some really creative kind of um, techniques, utilizing hardware that was already on the board. So I thought it was really interesting. I haven't tried it myself. And I, don't, I suspect a lot of folks are, are not going to do it because they're going to go for the QSX, which is Hans's SSB rig. But it's a completely different animal. Hans's new rig is really SDR-based, whereas the QCX is much more of an analog kind of um, traditional phasing rig-based system. But I thought uh, Guido's article on, on modifying the QCX for uh, for SSB was really interesting. I have it up on the blog. You might have to scroll down a bit, but between this podcast and the last one, you'll see Guido's articles. 
Well, you know, Guido also did that with a Raspberry Pi alone. Wow. About a year or so ago. And I sent him an email, never heard back from him. I said, how'd you do that? But he's essentially doing the SDR thing on the Raspberry Pi, and he made a transceiver out of it. Wow. And I never saw anything more on it. This is a talented guy. Guido, if you're listening, get in touch with us. We need to we need to talk to you. This is really interesting. Plus that name. He's got to be a Paisan. You know what I'm saying? Except his last name is not Italian, I don't think. Uh, there's got to be connection. Yeah. You've got to keep in touch. Um, hey, Stephen, Mil- Stephen Walters from the U.K., an old friend, an old supporter of the, the podcast, and an old boat anchor guy. I'm very, very happy to hear from him. And he sent us a, 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 a video that we had seen a while back called The Secret Life of Machines on Radio. I don't know if you watched this thing. It is awesome. I watched it a few years ago, but I watched it again. These guys went and recreated a lot of the old radio gear. Especially cool was their recreation of the coherer as a detector. With it's, it's all very electromechanical, relays and buzzers. And then they sort of recreated kind of a Marconi kind of uh, transmitter. And they were transmitting like across a bay there in the U.K. or something. And it was working. It was really great. It's just like your transformer. I know. It was your transformer buzzing. That's what that's what the first radio signal sounded like. It sounded like it, but but the way they were doing it, they were they had this you know tube filled with iron filings, and it was getting they had a tapper and was tapping on it so that it would continue to respond when key was down on the other side. I thought it was really cool. Check it out; it's on the blog. Uh, another thing on the blog: a DL6 Whiskey Delta, a German ham. This is an article from a long, long time ago. So. I wouldn't be surprised if DL6WD is no longer on the air. I don't know. But he wrote this article way back. It must have been like in the 60s or 70s about a homebrew SSB rig. And I didn't realize it, but it's on the cover of the old ARRL book, SSB for the single side. Rud- Rudolph Fisher's the guy's name. He's, Rudolph he's, Fisher. He, he remembers everything. He's like, it's amazing. Rudolph Fisher. Rudolph Fisher, DL6 Whiskey Delta. Date yeah. of birth? You guys date of birth? Oh. oh, man, so you didn't know everything. <laughs> but that's amazing that you remember the name. But, but, hey. the re- but the receiver weighed 52 pounds. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, he spent a lot of time on shielding. He joked yeah. about it at the end. But he built kind of an HRO-style dial. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks really, really cool. And I, that blew me away after when I, when I looked at it again and realized the HRO-style dial that he had in there was built by him. And he, he notes in the article that it took two weeks of labor to do it would have taken me two years, and I would have done it poorly. But, uh, wow, that was really pretty cool. By, uh, by the way, before you pass on that, if you can find that edition of the Sideband Handbook, that's on the front cover. Yeah. The Sideband Handbook. Yeah, yeah. Little book. There's an article by Richard Taylor, W1DAX, later on in that Sideband Handbook about a 20-meter phasing rig, a 20-meter phasing sideband rig, W1DAX, Richard Taylor. I love that book. I'm going to look that one up. I have several versions of it here, so I'm sure I got it. Yeah. Thank, so why you. do I remember that stuff? You just do. It's, it's like it's amazing. It's just awesome. Yeah. You're, in, you're a resource for all of us. It's great. Um, speaking of resources for all of us, here's somebody I didn't know about, but somebody who definitely should be in our community, the High Frequency Oracle. Did you know there was such a person? No. Yes, there is. It's a she. And I don't have her call sign handy, but she's been around for many years, and she's referred to as the high-frequency oracle. And her job is, like the oracle at Delphi, 
is to kind of look into the future, read the entrails or the tea leaves, and in this case, the sunspots, and tell us what's going to happen on cycle 25. And um, so she made some pronouncements on it that are actually pretty encouraging. We might be pulling out, pulling out from the bottom of the cycle and heading into cycle 25. That's why I need my beam fixed. I know. I'm, I'm, I, it's got me thinking about moxins. Yeah. For 20 or 17, yeah. back on 17. Anyway, I have a link to the High Frequency Oracle. She's really interesting. It's very much related to the Radio Gods Have Spoken. If we have the Radio Gods and we have an Oracle. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we we go. got it. Boom, Bob's your uncle. Um, okay, Steve, WA1QIX. He is a very kind of important guy in the AM world. He has this amazing station. Check out his QRZ page. He looks like a real mad scientist, and he admits that most of his AM gear is held together by uh, alligator clip leads, things like that, which makes him a good guy in my book. I wonder if that's his call sign. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, the QRZ changed everybody's call oh, sign. They no, just... <laughs> he, he, I'm sure he still is. Um, he runs the Lonely Guys Net on 75 meters. I, oh, I talked to him yeah, many right. Times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he claims, now this is something I think we might have to challenge him on. He's been, he was on the other day, and he's been running his, uh, his station remote, doing some unusual stuff, but he claims to have the only D104 microphone in the world that's plugged into a USB port. Okay, maybe at this moment in time, but way back in the early days of solder smoke, I did rather foolishly attempt to take the D104 microphone and plug it into the audio in on Echolink. When we were doing this on Echolink with uh, with Mike up in Alaska, so there's a few early episodes in there in which I kind of proudly proclaim that I'm speaking to you, Mike, on Echolink with a D104. Yes, it sounded awful. There's only one mic in the world, the D104. Come on, guys. That is, I know. I'm, I, when I, I hear these guys talk about their PR 781s and whatever, I said, yeah, but where's the D104? I know it, it is, and I, I I don't go beyond it. Even with homebrew rigs, I don't feel about feel bad about using it, even though it's a piece of commercial gear. But it sounds so good, I'm sticking with it. Okay, there it is. Um, we talked about Demore's article on LC filters at 100 kc or 50 kc. Really good. Oh, I'm in a restaurant uh, with Elisa. I look up, and they're playing on the on the uh, TV uh, an ad for the new Godzilla movie, and it opens with a whole bunch of ham radio stuff. Oh. Yeah. Including a Super Pro, an SP600, I think. But they have, instead of one of the dials where the frequency is there, they have an S-meter flipping up and down. We hope that it, that was just done with computer stuff and nobody actually butchered the SP600 for a Godzilla movie. Speaking of uh, a video, they had this thing where they were, uh, the space station was transmitting single sideband, I mean, SSTV from space. I know you, you saw this. This was pretty cool. And I kind of missed the main event, but I figured they were still doing it, so I... I swung around my little uh, homebrew five-element quad and aimed it up there and waited for the right moment, and I managed to decode. I actually received single sideband from the space station. I put it on the blog. It looks horrible. I don't know what I did wrong. Anybody who knows about this stuff, please take a look at the blog, and please tell me what it, what I did to mess it up. But it's clearly a, 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 a slow-scan TV signal from space. It's just that mine doesn't look nearly as good as everybody else's, so... That was fun. Yeah. Hey, before you move off the SP600, I had an SP600JX17 at one time, 
and that tunes to uh, 54 megahertz. And a long, long time ago, your cordless telephones were on 49 megahertz. So one day I'm tuning, and I pick up my phone <laughs> on the SP600JX17, and I hear my wife talking to her friend Marsha. So they said, hey, we'll have to go out to lunch next week. So I said, I'm going to have some fun with this. So I went shut things down. I saw my wife, and I said, here. I said, here's 40 bucks. She said, why? I said, so will you go out to lunch with Marsha next week? She just looked at me like, ha, 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 how did I know? How did I know she was going to do that? You know, but a, I mean, <laughs> but it, that was cool to be able to do that. There's, there's variations on this story, you know. No, I don't. Oh, 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 yeah, because those frequencies were also very popular with baby monitors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? But here's the thing. People would forget about the baby monitor when the baby got a little bit bigger. Right? Oh! And then the baby monitor, listen, where it often still ended on. up. It's still it on. Up, still on under the bed. Oh! <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. And some, for some interesting listening in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we won't get into that. It's a family show. Um, okay, here's something I want to throw out. we got to talk about this. On the Lonely Guys Net. They have they get together every Saturday morning on uh, 75 meters. I listen to them. I've checked in. I'm a member of the net. I hope they won't hold this against me. But one of the, they always ask a question, and that's the the subject that they talk about here on the East Coast. And the question last week was, why do you like AM? And the most of the responses were were based on the idea that when you listen to an AM signal the quality of the audio is so presence. much better. Oh, presence. it's 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 beyond presence. It's presence and Christmas and natural sound and Not all yellowy. that other stuff. Not yellowy and all that. And I'm listening to these guys on my micro bit X, right? And I've just zero beated their carriers. And it sounds perfectly fine to me. I could switch. i got a switch here. So I'm switching back and forth between the HQ100 and my SSB receiver. And honest to God, to me, I really don't notice a big difference in the quality of the audio. All right? But one thing that I do notice, there's a, there's a huge advantage in listening on the SSB receiver because you're not listening to the other half of the sideband, so the amount of QRM is greatly reduced. Not only that, here's the other thing I notice. And again, I'm probably going to be expelled from the lonely guys for saying this kind of stuff. But when you're listening on the SSB receiver, you've got a readout there of exactly what the carrier frequency is because you've zero-beated it out. So sure enough, it's there 3875, right? The other thing you notice when you do this on a net like the Lonely Guys where they're all old AM trans transmitters, none of them are on the same frequency. Oh, no. Every time they turn it over to somebody else, you get the heterodyne. Yeah. And you got to retune. Yeah. Another guy comes on, you have to die and retune. So I, this has made me realize that the, and I don't, I don't even like to listen to AM on my Broad as a Barn DRHQ100 because frankly, if there's powerful signals on the band, I can't tell whether the guy's on 3880 or 3885 or 3875, right? Because they're, they're just big carriers and everything. He, now, also related to this, um, this is kind of, griping and moaning here when they have a a, a a contest like not really a contest but event like the am rally 
where you've got a lot of guys pulling out the old AM rigs and trying to work each other, it's a reminder of the bedlam that was on the handbands before SSB, right? So these are events that are supposed to promote AM, but I came away from it thinking, thank God we moved past that because it's just heterodyne alley. You get on there and you're hearing nothing but heterodynes and heterodynes because everybody is transmitting on fairly close frequencies in a, in a pretty narrow band. Whew. SSB, Pete, the way to go. Well, the other thing, too, is you're wasting a lot of energy. Yeah, Power. I Power. I know, I know, I know. I, the I, carrier has no, carries no information. You're putting power in the second sideband. I know, I know. And then it's, it's, I, I, I just, I, my, my kind of, my thoughts about it have kind of, I've, I've become more kind of dedicated <clears throat> to SSB. Now, here's something else. This is going to get us in trouble with a whole different group of radio amateurs, but long or rattle, let's do it. CW. Oh! I've discovered that I have kind of uh, mixed feelings about the old mode. Here's what I'll say. I kind of like the CW when I'm using the HT37 and the Drake 2B. If I'm working some guy in France and it's really marginal and he's just right close to the noise and I can hear the signal kind of just coming in and it's just sort of, uh, you know, Good morning, old man. Thanks for the contact. You know, you're 599 in Nice, and then boom, and it's over. It seems to make sense using the old simple equipment on a kind of a signal that I, on a, with a signal that I probably couldn't do SSB because he's so close to the noise, need the real narrow bandwidth to pull him out of the noise. It seems like fun. It's an entirely different thing when I'm talking to somebody who is 40 over. And the CW is banging in and bang, 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 bang. And I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it be easier if this guy just switched over to sideband and talked to me instead of talking to me one letter at a time? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, it's, Pete? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. SSB. All right. Anything else? What do we, uh, jo- join me here because I don't want to be the only one. Say something bad about CW. Well, <laughs> uh, no, no. Well, you know, I think I think uh, first of CW operators have a special skill, especially the high speed guys, the guys that can read 120 minutes without writing anything down. I mean, that takes a special skill to do that. That sounds like a lot of work to me, <laughs> you know. And uh, as a matter of fact, someone was telling me one of the current rigs. For ICOM, just has a CW reader in it. You don't even have to read CW anymore. It just the, displays it on the screen. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 I operate CW all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My reading speed. But I think it has its place in those who like to do it. Great. This is a, this is an expansive hobby. So okay. we could, you know, you like to do it, have at it. There's plenty of people and, you know, certainly it's, uh, you know, it's it's indicative that the government has shifted away from it because there's other mode, more efficient modes of communication. The other thing I think about it, and this is one thing that bothers me about the mode, and this is why I'm not, I'm, I don't feel bad at all that we no longer require people to learn it, is that it was never, in the beginning, it was never intended to be kind of a skill that you would learn and acquire. When, when Morse and the early developers in Marconi, the early guys in radio and telegraph, well, telegraph before radio, their idea was that there would be a paper tape running through that would write down the dots and dashes, and then you would then take you read it, it and decode it, right? 
it, it never occurred to them that the operators would learn to to do it by ear. It was only after they started doing that that everybody said, oh, well, that's the best way to do it. But, of course, we've had radio teletype all along, right? Anyway. Hey, I listened to FT8. Oh, I, there you go. I listened to it. I, I actually downloaded the software and, and listened to it. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. Hey, time for the Solder Smoke Mailbag. Yeah. Got to move on. Hey, hey, before we move on, I just wanted to plug something here, Bill. And don't we haven't covered the Shameless Commerce Division. We can do that all. By the way, I, I saw uh, ARL Bulletin that the <laughs> ARRL is now starting a podcast aimed at helping amateurs. Good. And uh, it's called uh, So What Now? I think uh, March the 7th is the debut. And, and I think any podcast uh, geared at uh, encouraging our hobby, promoting our hobby, uh, providing knowledge to our hobby is has got to be good. So uh, good luck to it's Michelle and Joe, and uh, they're going to be covering So What Now? And it's uh, geared, to, I think, to the newer ham uh, so that he can get a little more experience. And uh, so welcome aboard. Good luck good to luck. them. Good yeah. luck to them. I agree. I hope they I hope they push home brewing a little bit because I think that's one thing that people should be kind of encouraged to get into just because it would be fun for them but like yeah. you said to each his own and it's a hobby so great good luck to awrl on the uh on the on the podcast shameless commerce division bill shameless commerce division <clears throat> amazon use the the little block in the upper right hand corner of the solder smoke blog and cha-ching jeff bezos who has been having a tough time lately he's been having a tough time we got to know. We don't want to get into the details. His ex-wife is going to walk away with $50 billion. <laughs> But that doesn't mean we still don't want some of his money no, here. No, no. Yeah, yeah. We do. Um, and so we get 5% or something like that if you buy your stuff from Amazon through the Solder Smoke blog page. So soldersmoke.blogspot.com. In the upper right, you'll see a little search engine, there, search block. Throw in there whatever you want to buy, a Lamborghini, uh, something like that. And a Rigoscope, get a Rigoscope. A Rigoscope, something you know, like that. You know, that's only 350 bucks, something yeah, like that. It's yeah. a great scope. We get, but we get a yeah, few, few, yeah. few bucks and it helps. And so yeah. you help the solder smoke effort here. It doesn't cost you anything. It's all coming out of Bezos. So yeah. anyway, keep keep doing that. That'll be great. Thanks for reminding me. In the mailbag, Pete, we got a, we got a, we got an email that I, I really like from M0 Kilo Oscar Victor, M0KOV, and he said that, he had seen the the Dilbert animated cartoon, and Dil, where Dilbert's mother took him to the doctor, and said there was something wrong with him because he wanted to take machines apart. And the doctor said, "Well, that's okay, it's normal." And the mother said, "Yeah, but he builds ham radios." And the doctor says, "Oh my God, you've got a problem." <laughs> yeah. This actually happened with M zero KLV. That his mother took him to the doctor because of ham radio. I said, yeah. "Wow, you definitely got the knack, man." Yeah. yeah. And and I don't know if it actually happened, but but of course Gene Shepard's, you know, girlfriend at age fourteen told him that. He, she was going to tell his mother about him, and his mother should take him to the doctor <laughs> because all he was concerned about was Heising modulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here, so on the same, very a related topic. We seem to have kind of a, a related topic here, but we got a nice email from the Wizard of Wimbledon. I don't know yes. if you guys remember the Wizard of Wimbledon, Jonathan, Mike Zero, Juliet Golf Hotel. He's the fellow who told us about he, Thank God. He, Thank God. He Thank took, God. He took his girlfriend on a trip to Italy. And they yeah. went out to one of these beautiful hilltops in Italy. Him, him and the girlfriend there. This was several years ago. 
And he made her help him put up a dipole antenna. And then he made her sit there while he made CW contacts with his homebrew QRP rig. And she did it. And And my comment was, he's not Italian. (laughs) And your second comment was? Marry her. And my summation of everything that Pete says is, always listen to Pete. (laughs) So Jonathan sent us an email, and it opened up with pretty much with, always listen to Pete. And he did. And he told us about how how he popped the question. So they climbed up to another, they went back to Italy again a few years later climbed up onto another beautiful Italian hilltop and he told her that he had brought with him two little rigs. He builds little rigs in little boxes like Arduino boxes, like like um like Altoys boxes. Yeah. And he told her, and I'm sure she was delighted, that he had built one for him and built one for her. Wow. Oh wow. She must have been thrilled. So he pulled out the first one. It makes her put up the dipole again. <laughs> right? But then he says to her, wait a second, let's do the other one for you. And he reaches into his pocket, and it was not, in fact, a rig. It was a box containing, what? An engagement ring. Engagement ring. ring. Yeah. Boom. Amazingly, she said yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after the, after the antenna, I think that it was a, kind of a yeah. questionable proposition. But congratulations to Jonathan, and indeed, always listen to Pete. Pete, you get some credit for that, too. Uh I put a I put a story about this up on the on the blog. We got some nice email from Jack. K A one W I. He had written to us a three or four years ago about a, a homebrew receiver that he built. I had run into him on the air, and this guy homebrewed an SSB, you uh, know, uh, super hat, and it really looks cool. The box is cool. Everything is cool. It's very rustic, and we were really impressed. Then he's updated it. He's worked on it some more. He's done a lot of work on it. And he sent us pictures and videos, and I have them up on the blog. Check it out. But did you see what he said, Pete? He was kind of dissatisfied with the DDS, digital VFO he had in there, and he was hoping that he could get something in there that was more PLL-based. I thought of? SI-5351. SI-5351. Jack, if you're listening, SI-5351, the way to go. It can change your life. The... The dis- display he has in there is a non-backlit, and he said he got this three. Uh, he got this display from N3ZI, who's in Las Vegas, and it uses uh, a Motorola chip. As a matter of fact, uh, Keys uh, down in K5BCQ sells a kit. Very similar to that with that same display. And the problem with the backlit display is you got to have it at the right angle or you can't see it. But uh, he lists, lists the channels and the, and the display. I had a few rigs with that in there, and I've since – and I asked Keyes, I said, can you change this to a backlit display? He said, no, we got these displays for 20 cents a piece. <laughs> and he said, i got a, I, I got that, a garage full of them. That kind of explains why, Jack, if you see in the video, he has the, the, the LCD yeah. kind of tilted at an angle. That's probably why. Oh, man. Okay, so we'll get backlit. But then while you're at it, get SI 5351. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that that particular kit uses a 570. Now, N3ZI, I got to tell you a story about him. He comes from the same town I did back in Pennsylvania. And he went to the same primary school, 
that was across the street from where I lived. And he told me that when he was like in third or fourth grade, he'd look out the window at my house and saw the antenna and said, someday I ought to become a ham. Because <laughs> <laughs> I live right across the street from the school. And so you talk about a connection to the past, and he's since moved to Las Vegas. Now, I think the radio his, gods have spoken. Yeah, his mom, his mom still lived. In, in my little hometown, I'm not sure she's still living, but he was telling me he'd go back there every once in a while to, to see his mom. So, I mean, you talk about a, being a small world. There you go, Bill. Putting my beret back on. Yeah. It's a small world. Pete, the time has run out. We're at yes. like an hour and 26 minutes because we had so much to talk about. You got anything else? Uh, no. I got uh, looking forward to better weather coming. We got but, rain again today, so... Better weather, I hope, is on the way. You got those uh, rivers in the sky over there. Yeah, Aerial. I never heard about that. Woof. Yeah, that sounds awful. All right, good luck with the weather, Pete. Great talking to you again. We covered a lot of territory. Let's let's try to do it again. Not too. We don't. We can't wait too long. We got so much to talk about. But I really appreciate you getting up at O Dark Thirty out there in California with the beret <laughs> on. Maybe next time I'll have the NCX three on the air. Excellent. I know you will. On the air. All right. And remember, folks, take pictures of yourselves with the beret on. Try to check into the vintage SSB net. I've seen one. That's from Jim. I saw that. That's the only one we have so far. Yeah. He's going to win by default unless you guys send in some stuff. Pete, thanks a lot. You bet. Seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. We'll see you. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!